This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Australia has fallen in love with the Matildas. Despite bowing out in the semi-finals of the World Cup to England, Sam Kerr and the Tillies gave Australians all over the country something to cheer about. One nil down in the second half, the Matildas captain etched her name into history, scoring a goal that the nation will never forget. But even in defeat, Kerr did not back down, calling for increased funding at the grassroots level so that this tournament is not just a flash in the pan, but the start of something new. Today, I'm talking to Head of News Mike Tisha and Sports Editor Mike Heitner about Australia's love affair with football and the future of women's sport. It's Friday, the 18th of August. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Good morning, Mike. Which one? Good, good morning, Mike Tisha. Good morning. And good morning, Mike Heitner, filling in for Lenore Taylor as the 90th minute substitute. Morning. <laughs> you are Guardian Australia sports editor. You were at the match. How did it feel? It felt like a real moment. I've been to a, uh, a couple of games at Stadium Australia this tournament. Each of them have, have been sellouts with fantastic atmospheres and last night was no was no different. It, it, indeed, it may even have topped the, the other two games that I've seen there uh, in terms of the vibe, if I can call it the vibe. The atmosphere was fantastic. It was a real anticipation in the air. Obviously, there was the, the, the disappointment of home fans of going behind in the first half, but then... I mean, the, 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 the roof was nearly lifted off when Sam Kerr scored um, her equalising goal. And for eight minutes, eight glorious minutes, it seemed like it was back on and the dream was still alive. And then, of course, they, um, you know, they didn't have what it took uh, in the end. But, but still, it, was, it, was, it, was like a, it felt like a real celebration. And when the final whistle went, you know, obviously all the, the Australian players, they, they, they collapsed onto the turf and there was, there was incredible disappointment. But then the way the crowd responded to that as well, as they have done throughout the tournament with, with nothing but positivity, that was just really nice to see. Mike Tisha, I'm incredibly heartbroken, as I know you are too. What do Matilda's fans take from this World Cup? Uh, oh, lots of good things, as well as obviously disappointment. I think obviously we have to 
think about the tournament as a whole and their progress as a whole. It's felt to a lot of people like a breakthrough in all kinds of ways, a cultural, a sporting breakthrough, uh, maybe a football breakthrough. But I think we can we can kind of separate some of those things and maybe be a little bit more cautious about some of them than others. It was massively disappointing in a football sense last night. It was a, an extraordinary game, I thought. Some people seem to disagree, but I thought it was a really a really thrilling game. Mm. Um, I do too. Despite the um, unfortunate outcome for those of us who were backing the Matildas. But yeah, a kind of fittingly dramatic game from Australia's point of view, a sort of end point to what's been a really extraordinary few weeks of, of football and of football's interaction with the Australian public. I think it, it has been remarkably different from some things we've seen before. Yeah. Let's just talk about the cultural moment for a few minutes. Mike Heitner, you've been at a few of the matches and going round. How does it feel? How are people responding to this World Cup? I think it's, it's undeniable that the interest in this tournament and, uh, and this team in particular has been phenomenal. Uh, and I would be confident saying like nothing we've seen before the you know the world cup is a huge global tournament for the first time we've had it on our shores here and i feel like that opportunity has really been grasped obviously the success of the team has had uh, a large part to say in in that interest uh, and their you know their run to the semis has prolonged that interest um it's also the 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 identities and the personalities within this team that I think the Australian public have really identified with. I think a lot of people have really bought into this team. They have great stories behind them, some of hardship and adversity. They're a diverse group of women, and I think it's just tapped into uh, they've tapped into this moment, and the the public have bought into it because not only because it's been a tournament in our own backyard, but also because the success of the team and those involved in the team. I have been surprised and heartened by the huge number of new people that it's brought in in a completely un, you know, completely spontaneous way who've said, I've really never watched football before, never enjoyed it, and now here I am absolutely gripped by what's going on in the field. Actually goes broader than than just the Matildas as well. People have enjoyed a lot of the other teams. People who've gone to the Colombian games, for example, particularly of, of their fans have been an absolute adornment to the tournament and their team. It really has captured people's imagination more broadly than mm. just than just supporting Australia, which which is again not a new thing with the men's team. Also, when the men's team play in the World Cup, there's a huge amount of enthusiasm for that as well. When they do well, just, you know. They did last last year, and then we saw you saw huge levels of support for that too. But this has been something quite different. I think it has really brought in a lot of people who hadn't thought about football or had been alienated from football before. I think that's been really apparent at the stadiums as well, and the demographic of the of, of the the audience inside the grounds that comes across really starkly in the noise coming from the crowd. Mm. There's a lot of young girls in there. There's a lot of young boys as well. Yeah. The, 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 um, the decibel levels are, are high. There's a lot of um, excitement, um, you know, throughout play. And it's just, a, it's, it's a different feeling. You see it on the way into the grounds as well. Sometimes you go to a men's game and you get the feeling that it's, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's not, an in, people aren't enjoying themselves. Mm. <laughs> They're going yeah. because it's the football. And, you know, it's, um, it, it's not a chore, but like, it's not this kind of celebration of, 
of, of sport and uh, you know and, uh, of life it seems to have been I got off the, the tram um, for the England Denmark game at, at the Sydney football stadium and I was greeted by a woman on a li- with a loud hailer just saying welcome to to the game um, the the group D game between England and Denmark we hope everyone has an enjoyable evening uh, it just struck me it's like <laughs> that, that no one's ever said that to me before at the, at the football <clears throat> and it kind of reminds you you know this is, this is what sport's about it's about enjoyment I went to the um, France v Jamaica match at Sydney Football Stadium and it was amazing. It was so fun. It was full of families, you know, mums, dads, little boys, little girls, just like having the best time. And I was really struck by the support that Jamaica had in that crowd and the, the crowd ended up getting really behind Jamaica. It was so fun and it felt, it reminded me a bit of the Sydney Olympics. I was also reminded this week that I wrote a column in the 2015 World Cup saying, you know, this this is different now you know the women's game is here and every world cup it's kind of built up but this genuinely felt like a major breakthrough to me was it i was thinking about that column that you wrote and how we discussed it when you were writing it and i was sort of slightly ashamed <laughs> of, what, of what my views were then in a way mm. not, not, not maybe ashamed going putting it too far but i do remember saying something like it has to succeed on its own terms commercially. Women's sport can't expect to be funded in the same way until it draws the same number of people and has the same commercial appeal for sponsors and TV rights as men's sport, which I would not say that anymore. (laughs) But nevertheless, it has actually proved that this time now. It's got to that stage where it's shown that it is absolutely a commercial monster in its own right and hopefully the rewards of that will filter through to the players and to grassroots in the years to come. That is something that absolutely needs to be taken forward from this tournament. I want to talk about grassroots but just quickly while we're on the commercial aspect, it has been commercially successful this tournament, hasn't it, Mike Heitner? Yeah, absolutely. um, Merchandise has been selling out far more than it did during the last Women's World Cup four years ago in France Uh, and indeed Again, if we want to make the comparison, Matilda's jerseys are obviously outselling Socceroos jerseys at the moment. That might be because who wants a Jackson Irvine shirt at the moment, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I have one of those Matilda's jerseys that I will own up. But it's undeniable, the, um, the, the, the success. I mean, even just walking around the streets, you see there's Matilda's jerseys everywhere. There's, there's scarves everywhere to the point that you can't even buy them anymore shot off the shelves and now people have resorted to knitting their own scarves and uh, making their own you know outfits of whatever they can mm-hmm. get their hands on my um partner she um she borrowed one of my nine-year-old son's yellow hooded tops to watch the game in like, uh, <laughs> like it didn't fit her but it didn't matter you know everyone's got to do what they've got to do to show the support yeah i'm not sure why mike settled on jackson Irwin, but I think in, in <laughs> his defense go, we should say he's one of the <laughs> biggest supporters among the soccerers of of the women's team and their rights to equal pay and so on yeah Yes, so let's get into, um, yeah, the Socceroos have been incredibly supportive of the Matildas um, campaign for... So this is what pay. happens when you start comparing all yeah. the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we do want to talk about what's next for football. Samantha Kerr was really strong. She called on all the politicians who've jumped on the team's bandwagon during this World Cup to put their money where their cheers have been. She said we need funding in our grassroots. We need funding everywhere. The comparison to other sports isn't really good enough. Is there the political will to do this now? You'd hope so. People have made the right noises. Obviously, it's the popular thing, an obvious thing to say when the 
you know, public enthusiasm for the Matildas and for the tournament generally has been so huge. Whether that filters down to actual hard cash remains to be seen, of course. I think it's fair to say there's a problem with grassroots funding in general, not just for women's sport, but particularly in football where the funding structure is extremely weird and requires people to pay a lot of money up front to play, uh, which does not occur in all other sports. Public funding of grassroots sport is a popular policy, I would say, but it can, as these things often do, you know, get tied up in disputes between local, state, federal governments who's to take responsibility for it. Like, it's not just as simple as pressing the button, obviously, and the money comes out. But if there was ever a time when it was going to be popular to spend some money on grassroots sports, surely now then that would be it, and women's sport in particular. But we know the participation is there, right, Mike Heitner? There are a lot of kids playing football. What does this... World Cup mean for converting those young players into professional young women? That's kind of the million dollar question at the moment. You'd hope that the the huge exposure that this tournament has had will have an impact on part of, on those already high participation numbers. And, and that's great. But then you've got to look beyond that. And the, the question is, how do you convert that incredible interest at grassroots level into something more? And we, you know, we see that there is a definite drop-off point for young girls in particular. Their interest or, or even their their opportunities mm. just come to a to an end. Or probably their interest ends because of the the lack of opportunities, and and that's the big question for um, for football Australia um, at the moment in terms of the, amid all this talk of of Legacy Twenty Three and you know how to convert the interest in the World Cup, which we now know has been a roaring success. This is a familiar problem in one sense in that previous surges of enthusiasm for football, men's football, have also translated into higher participation rates and enthusiasm for the national team, but not for the professional league in the middle to anything like the same extent. And that's kind of a football problem as much as, a, or even more so than a, than a men or women problem. And the main reason for that compared with other countries, is that Australia is almost unique in the number of sports that are competing for attention. Mm. Perhaps the US is the only other comparable example. And especially while in Europe, where they don't have so many different sports competing, you know, in Germany, there is basically football and then the next sport is, I don't know, handball or something. In Spain, maybe it's basketball, but it's a long way behind. Mm. And since the European club system has invested huge amounts of their gargantuan wealth into developing and training young women footballers as well as young men footballers, that's a huge draw for people who are doing, who, who show that they've got talent in Australia too. Um, this is a controversial opinion, but I think that the women of Australia should give up on AFL and rugby league and rugby <laughs> union and just go for football. Do you think they will? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think what's, uh, it's, it's actually an interesting point. There has to be an international aspect yeah. in this, right? That doesn't exist in AFL or, or you know, it does in union, but not league. But that, there has to be to kind of avoid that drop off point. There needs to be for, for young girls in, in football, it, football needs to be a viable career option, yeah. Um, which for many years it, it obviously hasn't been. Mm. Um, in some ways, this World Cup, you know, has 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 brought that to, to the fore, and people can see that now that you know you can become a, a global international sports star if you follow your dreams and you're good at football. But tied into that is the 
is the level of the the domestic women's league in in Australia, the A League women, um, which suffers from you know losing a lot of its players to to European leagues, especially in in the UK, where training levels are so much higher, investments are so much higher, facilities are better, uh, etc. That's where it's kind of got to start over here, and that's where you know the legacy of the World Cup has to go to kind of raise the level of the domestic league here to to show young girls that there is a you know a pathway through, yeah. and they don't have to stop when they're thirteen or or fourteen. Or, but there's still obviously a lot of uh, a long way to go in terms of investment in the in the domestic league. Craig Foster wrote in the Guardian this week if if you want to keep following the Matildas, then go join your local women's A league club because that's what it's going to take to make this dream keep going, right? Uh, Courtney Vine, who scored the penalty that helped win Australia the match against France, she plays in the A-League, right? I mean, she's good enough to go and play in one of the big European leagues, but it looks like she may well end up deciding to stay here, which is a huge boon for the for, for the A-League women to have uh, a Matilda's player like that. And there's a lot of talk around creating a, a marquee player fund, which means that they're, they're going to hopefully be able to keep you know, the better players, um, Matilda's players here, which again will generate more interest in the domestic league and hopefully it's a trickle-down effect. Joey Peters said this week in Full Story on another episode that what really makes her think this is different is that it's not the Women's World Cup this time, it's just the World Cup. If there's one, just one single takeaway from this tournament for me, it is that women's sport is no longer being thought about it as women's sport. People are just enjoying it as sport. It doesn't matter whether you think it's the culmination of battles that women have fought over many years, which of course it is, or that you think it's a good thing that women are now seen as equal. You you don't have to buy into any beliefs about it. It's just people want to see it as sport. For the younger generation coming through now, that's very much true. They don't seem to know recognize the difference between men's and women's sport um, and you hear anecdotally some great stories about young boys telling the parents that they when they want to grow up they want to be a Matildas player you know from my own personal experience I'm a, one of my sons has a Sydney Sixers hat and it's not Steve Smith or David Warner or whoever who's got who, you know, on it it's it's Alyssa Healy that gives great hope that this whole generation coming through who don't have that filter it's just sport, which is great to see. Next, finding new love and sitting in traffic. Hey, Laura Mefiotz here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. 
Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Mike Heitner, is there anything in your head other than football? Um, very little, to be honest, at the moment. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been filled with nothing but football. And one one story in particular that has stuck with me, though, was the um, the story that the FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, asked to be given a police motorcade during his visit to um, New Zealand, and it was turned down gloriously. Um, <laughs> because it's a nicer man. Well, it's reserved for, they reserve most cases for heads of state and some foreign dignitaries, but unfortunately for Gianni, he doesn't fall into that category. Oh. That's the last time New Zealand has seen anything. <laughs> Mike Tischer. What has stuck in your mind this week? So I have to talk about a non-football story, which is that Rupert Murdoch is dating again. I'm sure people will be aware that not all has gone smoothly in Rupert's love life recently. Um, he had a, um, another recent love interest, but that sadly did not last all that long, despite him spending large amounts of money, although not by his standards, probably on <laughs> a ring and so on. Anyway, this, this latest one, there are so many details in this about uh, Elena Zhukova, who's 66, uh, he is 92, that are interesting. There is a football connection. Her daughter was formerly married to Roman Abramovich, the former owner of Chelsea Football Club. They met through his former wife, Wendy Ding, apparently, we hear. But the one detail that really stuck with me was that they have been photographed cruising in the Mediterranean, uh, the new uh, Murdoch and Zhukova. Uh, on an extended holiday. I'm not sure holiday from what. I'm not quite sure. But um, the boat that they are on is the Christina O, the legendary yacht once owned by Aristotle Onassis. But the other thing about the Christina O, which you can rent, is that it was the boat that was in um, Triangle of Sadness. The success of a luxury cruise mainly depends on you. As we know, definitely did not watch Succession, so it's very possible that he also has not watched Triangle of Sadness. But if he had, <laughs> and I, spoiler alert, he would know that the plot is that the extremely rich and entitled people on board the boat become violently ill in a storm, are shipwrecked on an, on an island and would die if it wasn't for the practical know-how of one of the very much underpaid and you know poorly treated crew who's stranded with them. God forbid anything like that should happen to Rupert and uh, Daria Zhukova. But um, I don't know. It seemed like for someone who has their pick of boats to cruise around on in the Mediterranean, it's the symbolism seemed a little odd. But maybe it's just such an amazing boat that he was prepared to overlook that. Or maybe admit, he didn't know it. <laughs> maybe he didn't. I must admit, when you told me it was the boat from the Triangle of Sadness, I was sceptical. I thought it was a joke. Uh, I had to go and fact check that detail. But it is a glorious detail. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannan. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. Full Story will be back with you on Monday. Catch you then. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.